Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound Radio Show, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey. I am your host. Uh, been a couple of weeks. We wound up not being able to record last week because I was covering UFC on ESPN1. Uh, that just kind of... I can't record the show and do coverage at the same time. I am only human and a profoundly flawed one and at that. So... We have a couple of weeks of news to go over. It is just me this evening. I had stuff come up that prevented Jeff and I from getting together to record. We'll be back together next week, assuming nothing crazy happens to me again. Knock on wood. I would, and I might, but it might set off my dogs and you don't want to hear them barking. Uh, tonight we will be reviewing UFC on ESPN 1, reviewing UFC on ESPN Plus 3 slash UFC Fight Night 145, that took place Saturday morning. And we'll have a preview of UFC 235 next week, well, this coming Saturday. And all the major news, there were a couple of, uh, or a couple of, new, of news announcements, some, mostly some fights getting made that we will need to go over. Uh, the Arguably the greatest of all time retired, and that's... You know, worthy of spending a little bit of time on. But that, you all know the basic formula by now, I assume. So, thank you for listening, and let's go ahead and jump into our reviews. Starting with UFC on ESPN 1. Uh, this was, again, the UFC's... It wasn't technically their debut on ESPN. They did have uh, you know some preliminary cards on ESPN. This was the first full main card on ESPN. And the UFC put a fair amount of... Uh, ESPN put a lot of hype behind it, and thank you to them for that. The UFC put some behind it. They put a lot of hype behind the return of Cain Velasquez. That was the big selling point, and he, he gets to come back in his home state because he was born in Arizona. And, you know, this, this you know former two-time champion and a guy who, in a lot of respects, is considered you know, is considered one of the better heavyweights, if not one of the best, in UFC history. He's making his return, and he's going to fight Francis Ngannou, and Ngannou proceeds to knock him out in 26 seconds. Um, this is hilarious to me on a, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, I love seeing the apple cart upset in some respects, and the UFC getting really behind Kane, like, this is the return of, you know, the Mexican Terminator. And he, you know, gets cold-cocked pretty quickly, and, you know, potentially is injured as well at the same time. I I don't laugh at his injury, in the sense that I don't wish Kane harm, but Kane is one of the more injury-prone guys I can remember. Not the most, obviously, but he's up there. So the fact that he doesn't, he not only gets badly hurt with strikes, knocked out very briefly, he then falls in such a way that his left knee is potentially damaged. Uh, that's, again, like, I find amusement in that, but I but I don't find, you know, I, I'm not rejoicing at Kane's suffering, but, I mean, you couldn't have scripted a more perfect, again, upsetting of the apple cart moment for this. Uh, again, the fight was, again, 26 seconds long. Um, funny statistic, because the UFC had Kane in their debut on Fox, uh, the him versus Junior Dos Santos, where Junior knocked him out in a little over a minute. 
Here in their debut on ESPN, where Francis Ngannou knocks him out in 26 seconds, the combined fight time for Cain Velasquez on ESPN and Fox is 90 seconds. Um, and again, I'm not knocking the guy because Cain, for a long period of time, was one of the best heavyweights in the world, if not the, was the best heavyweight in the world for a period of time. He just was coming back off of a very, very long layoff, over two years. And when Jeff and I previewed this, I said that if Kane's going to lose, there's a couple of habits that Francis is going to exploit to do so. One of them's his stiff head movement, and the other is the way he kind of ducks in for takedowns. If you can time that and you can recognize kind of what's going on, you can catch him. And that's pretty much what Francis did. He caught him with a bit of a one-two. The second one was kind of a clubbing blow very near the back of the head. That got them into close proximity, and when they're in close proximity, Kane, as he's kind of spinning around, looks to reach and duck for a takedown to close distance or to get Francis down, and Francis catches him with an uppercut that wobbles his head badly. His knees, his, you know, he loses his balance. He drops, and he just falls. Instead of falling straight-legged, he kind of collapses straight down while his legs go out. Uh, puts a lot of pressure on the knee. He drops there. He falls backward. His He feels enough pain in his knee to visibly react. Turtles up. Francis punches him a few more times. That's all she wrote. Um, This puts Kane in a really awkward spot because Kane, despite being very, very good, is also 36. And... Oh, sorry. Kane wasn't born in uh, Arizona. He was born in California. He was raised in Arizona. My, his home state. It's his home state. Not uh, you know, So he does have some you know, ties there. But this is a guy who's, you know, closing in on 40. Fought. Okay. His, Kane's resume, while he is a fantastic fighter, I got looking at it, and in some respects, it's a bit more problematic than I think we all considered at the time. His ascension to the title, when he wins it from Brock Lesnar, is very solid. He beats escalating levels of opposition. He dominates a lot of them. I mean, he dominates all of them. Loses, rebounds, reclaims the title. You know, I mean, his career is rather documented at that, you know, at this point, but... From 2011 to 2015, to 2000, excuse me, 13. Actually, through 2015, because that, but so again, 11 to 13, he fights two people. He fights Junior Dos Santos three times and Bigfoot Silva twice. And again, he and JDS had a, and he put a beat down on JDS in the, you know, the second two fights, and I'm not knocking that, but. If we're talking about strength of resume, that whole stretch is, it's a little more suspect now with, you know, hindsight being what, I mean, especially, you know, Bigfoot Silva twice. Then he loses to Verdum. It, so he's off from October of 2013 to June of 15 when he's beaten by Verdum. Returns in 16, beats Travis Brown. Then is off until February of 2019, at which point he loses to Francis Ngannou. Um, he's in a really rough spot. I mean, because, again, he's a fantastic fighter in a great many respects. But I don't know that 
A, I don't think he's the best UFC heavyweight ever. I at this point I do believe it's Stipe. And if it's not and uh Daniel Cormier probably could have taken that again the best UFC heavyweight ever. I think Cormier ranks better on you know, best fighters ever than if you put him in I mean he's the second best light heavyweight ever. And he's one of the best heavyweights ever. But I don't think... I mean, again, he beat Stipe cleanly in one round. He just doesn't have the body of work at heavyweight, necessarily. I mean, he's beaten good guys. You know, he beat Frank Mir, he beat uh, Roy Nelson, he beat Josh Barnett. beat Josh Barnett outside the UFC, though. So, again, if I'm limiting this to UFC heavyweights... I mean, again, DC's obviously, you know, an absolutely phenomenal fighter. But I think Kane's resume is faltering a little bit as time goes on, and that's that's a problem for his legacy. I mean, this loss is a problem. I hope his knee's not terribly injured. I don't think we've had too many updates on it, so it's either really bad or re- relatively minor. But Francis Ngannou is right back in the title picture. Um, I mean, this is back-to-back wins over... I mean, he beat Curtis Blades, who was on a pretty good winning streak. Curtis was surging pretty hard, and Francis took him out in the first round. Former two-time champion that everyone was excited to see back. Knocks him out in 20 seconds. Uh, you get now a built-in narrative about DC avenging the loss of his one of his best friends uh, against this guy. So it's... It, Francis is in a pretty good spot, actually, going forward. Uh, he's not fought the champion yet, which is a, always a positive. And, I mean, for a guy who, you know, a couple of fights ago, we were, uh, especially the Derek Lewis fight, we all kind of were, like, writing him off a little bit after that performance because it's not that he lost, it's how he looked. And he rebounded from that quite nicely. He's he's right back in... Uh, in <laughs> title contention, he's... Back in you know, the shape that or the form, rather the fighting form that we've all kind of come to expect. So, good for him. Uh, in your co-main event, Paul Felder defeated James Vick via unanimous decision, one twenty-nine twenty-eight, two thirty twenty-sevens. Uh, this was pretty good stuff. This was a pretty good fight. Um, Vick does a lot of leaning, and Felder didn't quite capitalize on that, and some of this was his positioning. He didn't get him against the fences consistently, and you're good on Vic for working on that a little bit. Um, But Felder just the busier, more effective fighter. Vic had his moments. He had, you know, Vic's kicks are very good, and Felder was very cautious about uh, Vic's intercepting counter-strikes. It's one of the things uh, Vic does very well, is he baits you into closing distance on him, and then if he's got room to move back, he either leans or kind of half-steps and then lands a counter as you are coming forward. That's how he gets a lot of people in a lot of trouble with his strikes. And Paul Felder was very, very mindful of that. Uh, Felder largely countered that with leg kicks. Uh, he had a really nice spinning elbow counter to something Vic was doing because Vic does a lot of jumping uh, knees if he wants to close distance. And Felder had the spinning elbow really, really well-timed. He caught him with it a couple of times. Uh, big, big win for Felder. One of the bigger of his career, actually. And after the, he said he wants uh, either a rematch with Edson Barboza. Barboza beat him via decision a few years ago, which was a really good fight, actually. That was one of Barboza's first in the UFC that went the distance. That was a really good fight. 
or Justin Gagey. He wants the winner of that fight and just hook that directly into my veins. I mean, give me... I love the rematch. I think both he and Barboza are better now than they were then. And him versus Gagey would just be a knockdown, drag-out, blood-and-guts war. And yes, just all of my yes. That is, just, again, hook that directly into my veins. Uh, that will sustain me for weeks. Uh, unfortunately, minor complication, um, Paul Felder suffered a collapsed lung as a result of this fight. Uh, one of the body kicks that Vic landed in the last round just uh, drove the ribs into it wrong, just you know, hit it just right. Um, he wound up missing out on his commentary duties for UFC Prague because of that injury. Uh, yesterday, I believe it was reported that he had to go into surgery. It wasn't fixing... It wasn't... The normal treatment for a collapsed lung is relatively non-invasive. I mean, it's not easy, but there are ways that aren't, you know, full-on surgery. Uh, apparently, his wasn't healing the way they wanted it to, so he did uh, have surgery to correct it. Hopefully he's back soon. Again, this is the biggest win of his career. He's a great analyst. I love him on the commentary desk. So, good win for Paul Felder, and hope he gets better soon. As for James Vick, I think we've just seen his ceiling at this point. I mean, there's a lot of guys that he will beat because he presents problems, but there's a little bit of the book that's been written on him at this point. And I just, again, I think we've seen kind of his ceiling. And it's a relatively high ceiling. It's, you know, a top 15 spot in the deepest division in the sport. But I think we can kind of tell the level that he is not going to get above, assuming current trends continue. Uh, Cynthia Calvillo defeated Courtney Casey via unanimous decision. 229-28, 130-27. I thought this fight was not good. I, I believe I'm in the minority there, but I was distinctly unimpressed by everything with this fight. Uh, it was just there. Uh, Crone Gracie defeated Alex Caceres via rear naked choke in the first round. This was the first time a Gracie won in the octagon since Hoist beat uh, Dan Severn in like 94. Um, Crone... Crone's got decent stand-up, but that's clearly not his... I mean, that's very, very obviously not where he is at his best. But he, once he got, he closed distance on Caceres, he got a rear waist lock, tripped him down, took his back, choked him out. Um, something that got brought up in the aftermath of this, and uh, I'm basically quoting Luke Thomas here, so I want to give him proper credit, because this is his observation. There's a fair number of fighters in MMA, especially the, the way as it is currently practiced, who can find their way to the back. Think about the average UFC fight you see. Think about how many times you see someone on the opponent's back. Um, and in this context, I don't just mean, you know, standing with a waist lock or even just, you know, a ride position. I mean, how many times do you see someone with, you know, hooks in? It's a lot more than, you know, for those of us who have watched the sport for a long time, and I count myself among those, there was a significant period of time in MMA history when if you were mounted, you or, and you know, this plays into this a little bit, but if you were mounted or someone had your back, you were done. Like, that was basically a death sentence as far as the fight goes. If you gave up one of those positions, that's it. 
you were just you were hoping there was not a lot of time left in the round and you could ride it out, but with any appreciable time, anyone was going to get you out from there. And that's not the case anymore. Now there's again there's a lot of guys who have very sophisticated back, uh, defense for someone on their back, a lot of scrambles, a lot of posture break. You know, there's a lot there. So the, the point being, there's a lot of fighters in the U- in MMA in the UFC in particular who can find their way to the back. There's a smaller set, but still a fairly decent chunk of them of fighters who, when they get your back, can maintain that position. Uh, Kevin Lee, by way of example. Kevin Lee is good about both finding your back and keeping your back. Uh, Michael Kies is pretty good about this as well. Um, That was one of the interesting points about their fight for me. Charles Oliveira is exceptional. If he gets your back, he's very, very good about staying there. He's also good at the next point, but so there are got point being there are guys who are good at not only finding that position but maintaining it. But there's the third there's the third subset of this, the third step in this process, and that is guys who are great at finishing from the back. I mean, again, if we bring up since I brought up Kevin Lee, and I'm not overly I'm not overly criticizing him, but by way of example, watch his fight with Tony Ferguson. Uh, the second Ally Aquinta fight. Uh, what's the other one? Barboza fight, which, I mean, he won, but by way of example, he gets the back for prolonged periods of time in all of those fights and doesn't finish. And that's, again, that's not some great criticism of him. Look at the level of opposition I just listed off. Right, that's Tony Ferguson, maybe the best lightweight in the world. That's Ally Aquinta, a terrifically underappreciated fighter, especially when it comes to his defensive grappling. And Edson Barboza, another one of the, you know, five or seven best lightweights in the world. But he had the back for prolonged periods of time and struggled to actually finish, be that hand fighting, be that you know, joint manipulation, be that strikes, depending on the position, whatever. Crone Gracie and a lot of very and very very high level grapplers, um, again, Crone Gracie absolutely being one of them. Sergio Marais, uh, Gordon Ryan. I know Gordon Ryan isn't in MMA yet, but bear with me. These are guys who not only know how to find the back, and I know Ryan's game has shifted a lot over the last little bit, but if he gets your back, they excel at. Finishing from the back. Crone Gr- Alex Caceres has had his back taken before. He fought off Uriah Faber from that position for quite some time. And Faber's pretty darn good at, you know, chokes. Gracie, in a fraction of that time, got him in a rear naked choke. That's a, again, that's just the, a very, very high level of sophistication when it comes to hand fighting, swimming through defense, and opening up finishing opportunities from the back. Um... Crone Gracie, again, I think he's very, he's, when I say he's one-dimensional, he's not horribly limited. But if he gets you in those dominant positions, he knows how to finish from there in ways a lot of other fighters just either don't know, don't have the reps doing it, don't have the reps against the level of opposition doing it, etc., etc. I don't know how far he's going to go, but, I mean, because, you know, there's a very, very, 
compelling ca- argument to be made that Alex Caceres should not really even be in the UFC at this point. And, you know, Alex Caceres in, you know, One or Ryzen has some intrigue for me personally. But, you know, good on Gracie. Uh, Vicente Luque and Brian Barberina, this fight. It's your fight of the year to this point. Again, to date in 2019. These two beat the crap out of each other. Um, Luque just teed off on Barberina for almost the entire first round, and Barberina just ate it and kept firing back. Luque slowed in the second. Barberina started pouring on the offense. Just relentless combinations. I mean, Barbarina's chin is otherworldly. He ate a bunch of offense that has not just would, but has slept other human beings, other men <laughs> that have that have fought Vicente Luque have absorbed significantly less of his offense and just been unconscious. Uh, into the third round, Luque starts going to the body, especially with knees. Uh, finally, lands a couple that actually get through Barbarina and. Take note, guys, if you're fighting someone who you can't put away with strikes to the head, go to the body. There are some guys you can hit in the head all day long and they just look at you funny. You know, Time a good shot, but if you hit them in the body when they're breathing in, suddenly everything locks up. And that's true of a lot of, you know, it's not just true of you know, Barbarine in this instance, but you know, the human body generally. Find, the, so, just please, go to the body if the head's not working. <laughs> if nothing else, it'll set up your head strikes. Um, again, give Luke a top 15 opponent, if not a top 10 opponent. Dude's on a significant winning streak. Luke is... I mean, he's lost a grand total of twice in the UFC. He is 8-1 and one in his last nine fights. Uh, give that man a, some serious... And, you know, again, I mean, the only other guy... He lost to Leon Edwards. was his most recent loss. And, you know, Leon Edwards has proven to be a legitimate contender. So maybe he can't beat that level of opposition, but give him somebody in the you know, top 10-ish. You know, 8 to 12, someone in that range. And let's see what he can do, because he's chewing... He's getting through these other fights, and you know, a lot of credit to Barberina again. This was a great, great slugfest these two put on. Andre Feely defeated Miles Jury via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. Uh, Jury just never seemed to get out of second gear. Uh, Fe- um, Feely just kind of kept jabbing him a lot, and Jury never really found a consistent counter, a consistent reply, and just got outworked. Uh, Horribly disappointed in Jury. Um, but Feely's jab has come a long way over his last few fights. Aljamain Sterling defeated Jimmy Rivera via unanimous decision. Again, Rivera never seemed to... And this... I'm not saying... When I say he never seemed to really get going, that's less because of him and more because Aljamain Sterling did a lot of really good things to keep him from getting going. He kept this at the distance he wanted. Uh, used a lot of really good front kicks to the leg and body. Just a really good kicking game overall to just kind of keep Rivera out of sorts and at the wrong distance. Um, again, a really solid performance from Sterling. He wants to fight Marlon Marais again because he thinks Marais got lucky with that knee strike. And Again, there's an element of luck in all fighting, but... Uh, dude, you again, you got knocked out cold in less than a minute. 
Less than two minutes. I have to double check the exact time of the stoppage in that fight. But you know, Sterling has really kind of come into his own lately. Uh, this is a big setback for Jimmy Rivera. Uh, and again, sometimes you just have an off night. Sometimes your opponent has the right game plan. Sometimes you meet run into guys you just can't beat. That happens. Uh, so, you know, good for them. Uh, so you know, I hope he rebounds because, again, I like Jimmy Rivera, but good on Sterling. He's he's definitely becoming a contender. Uh, Manny Bermudez missed weight, uh, but defeated Benito Lopez via guillotine choke in the first round. Bermudez is just a very, very slick grappler. Um, his striking needs work, but on the mat, he flows very well. He chains together different submissions. Um, again, really, really slick stuff from him. Hopefully he doesn't miss weight again. He might have taken this fight on short notice. Nope, nope. Uh, he did not. So, yeah, just just missed weight. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not happy about that. He missed by a lot. He weighed 140 for this fight. So, something to keep an eye on, but a supremely talented grappler. Uh, Andrea Lee defeated Ashley Evans-Smith via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. Andrea Lee just slicker striker, and Ashley Evans-Smith could never even get close to really securing any prolonged grappling exchanges. Uh, a lot of credit to Lee for this performance, not just because she won and won handily, but, I mean, she's... Uh, I... Her husband, who I believe, is, I'm not sure if they're getting a divorce or not, but her abusive husband is on the run from the law. She wound up having to switch gyms uh, leading up to this fight. Uh, just unbelievably tough mentally to go through all that personal tr- uh, you know, turmoil and then get into a cage and fist fight. Uh, a lot of credit to her for that. I, I, I like Andrea Lee. She's coming along. Um, Nick Lenz defeated Scott Holtzman via unanimous decision. Uh... Not a bad fight. Not a bad fight. Uh, I correctly predicted this one. Um, Holtzman just is kind of, and I don't mean this as a as an insult. He's kind of really good at the static stuff, and static stuff is really hard. But he wants his clinches to be, you know, static. He wants it to be a lot of muscle on muscle, a lot of tension. And Nick Lentz does a lot of non-tense stuff. He kept a really decent pace. They both hit each other a lot. They both... Okay, this was a good little fight. Uh, you know, Credit to Lentz, who is on a two-fight winning streak now. Uh, I don't know what you do with him, but you keep him around and he's a good guy to have around for cards like this. Uh, then on ESP... That, both of those... Uh, that was all stuff that was on ESPN. On ESPN Plus, we had Luke Sanders defeating Henan Barrow via knockout in the second round. Um, Barrow had a really good first round. His kicks were... He kept things at kicking distance, and he was really upsetting Sanders. He was you know, peppering him with body kicks, with leg kicks. Uh, just, you know, a really solid performance for the first round. And in the second round, Luke Sanders started closing distance appropriately. Got things into boxing range instead of kicking range, and just, you know, caught him with clean punches and finished him. Um, I have serious. Qu- uh, Burrell missed weight again. He weighed 138 for this fight. Um, 
I don't know that Henan Barrow needs to retire from the sport, necessarily. He should be considering it, if nothing else, because he's on a really bad streak. At a minimum, he should not be in the UFC at this point. I think that's relatively clear. And kicking everything off, Emily Whitmire defeated Alexandra Albu via rear naked choke in the first round. Um, eh, I mean, generic women's fight. Uh, Albu is in no danger of losing her spot on the roster, necessarily. Um, I got a serious kick out of this because the UFC li- had her listed as like 7-0 and undefeated, whereas every other outlet, every other place that tracks this kind of stuff, had her at like 3-0. and I don't know where they're getting those other like four fights, <laughs> but on commentary at one point, I think it was Dominic Cruz who said very briefly, you know, she's like three, she's, you know, th- he started to say 3-0 and in reference to, you know, how green she is as a fighter, had to correct himself to be in line with the UFC's line on this to 7-0. and uh, I mean, it, it's amusing. The UFC is pretty clearly fabricating a fair bit of that, but, uh, you know, they get to do whatever they want in that respect. So, I mean, again, generic fight, but it only lasted a minute and a second. Uh, no complaints. Um, again, it was a pretty solid, pretty solid event, all things considered. I mean, it was about as good as it was going to be. You had a few flops. Again, I, I didn't care at all for Calvillo and Casey. Um, Feely and Jerry was a lot of repetitive, was a lot of the same stuff over the course of the 15 minutes, but you had a quick knockout in the main event. You had Felder and Vic with a good fight. You had a great brawl that'll feature prominently at year-end award time. Um, pretty solid card. That led us into yesterday morning. Um, I need to start with a massive apology to everyone about this card. I did not double-check the start time for the event. It's on me. I was... Some of it was that. Some of it was, again, some personal stuff. I just... I should have double-checked. That, again, that is... That and some of the stuff that came up is fully on me. Uh, I missed the first four fights of this card. First time I've... That that is the first time that's ever happened, and I am profoundly pissed at myself over it. So, you have my apologies. I'm really pissed because there were at least two fights on the group that I missed that I really wanted to see. Um, And I am... I am annoyed with myself over this. I dropped the ball in terms of what people who read my work have come to expect from me, and I apologize, and I'm going to just have to try and do better going forward. So, with that out of the way, the main event, Tiago Santos defeats Jan Blahovic via TKO 39 seconds into the third round. This was a pretty good fight, actually. Um, A lot more of a restrained performance from Santos. He didn't go crazy. Uh, I had him winning the first round, just, you know, both guys were doing a lot of stance switching. I don't think... I don't think either of them really wanted to be in opposite stances. I don't think either wanted to be open for the, you know, the open body kick of the other. Uh, I actually gave Blahovich the second round. I thought he s- turned up the offense. I thought Santos wound up being a little bit more reserved in that round. Then in the start of the third round, it kind of felt like Blahovich was playing for this. Like he was going to let Santos do a lot of stuff early 
wear himself out, and then Blahovic is going to take over in rounds three, four, and five. Not a bad strategy, all things considered. But basically, to start the third round, Blahovic tries a, a blitz attack. Santos is able to step back from it. And because Blahovic never takes his head off the center line, uh, he clobbers him with a, I believe it was a right hook into a left hook. That catches Sant- uh, Blahovic square on the chin, drops him, pounds him out with hammer fists. This wasn't the highest paced affair, but these two were throwing heat. This was a pretty good fight. Um, Tiago Santos is a bad, bad man. I mean, if nothing else, this shows you how good David Branch is, because David Branch knocked him out in the first round. But, I mean, Santos is also 8-1 eight, He's eight and one in his last nine. He is undefeated since returning to light heavyweight. He's on a four-fight winning streak. He's finished all three of his opponents at light heavyweight. Uh, dude's in the title mix. He should absolutely be in the title mix now. Um, given the lack of contenders in some respects, he could be next in line for the winner of Anthony Smith and John Jones. And I'm perfectly okay with that. Um, Stefan Struve in your co-main event defeated Marcos Rogerio de Lima via arm triangle choke in the second round. This was generic heavyweight action in the sense that I don't think Struve landed a strike in the entire first round. He got taken down and kind of beat up. But DeLima couldn't finish, and in heavyweight, in the landscape of heavyweight, A, if you're on bottom, you're losing unless your name is Fabricio Verdum. The number of heavyweights with a good bottom game is limited, to say the least. Um, and then in the second round, Struve got DeLima down, and, you know, Struve's a good grappler. I mean, DeLima's a good grappler as well, but Struve got on top, locked up the arm triangle, forced the tap from Mount... Uh, Struve basically confirmed he's retiring after this, and, you know, good for him. I mean, Struve is, sorry if you hear that, that's me snapping at my dog. Uh, Struve's had a really good career. He's been in the UFC for like 10 years. And while he never really, in a lot of respects, fought to his potential, he gave us a lot of amazing fights, amazing visuals, some of them. He was on the receiving end of some of those, but... They are still forever part of the MMA landscape, and that's because of him. So, thank you, Stefan Struve. If this is really the end, you know, again, he never got to fight for the title, but he put on some great, he put on some good fights, he gave us some great moments, and had a really good career, all things considered. I mean, again, for those of us who looked at his physical potential and just wound up screaming at the screen half the time he was fighting, he was frustrating, but he had a lot of success, too, and, you know, had a really good career, all things considered, so good for him. Um, we finally got a John Volante fight that didn't suck, I think in no small part because it ended in 90 seconds and he was the one on the floor. Um, Michael Oleksajuk defeated him with a body punch a minute and 30 se- 34 seconds into round one. Volante had no idea what to do with the movement, uh, the feints, and just kind of the footwork of Oleksajic, which was very erratic. But every time Volante would try to plant his feet to throw, Oleksajic would find just a slightly better angle to attack from, so Volante was missing or just freezing the entire fight. Uh, Oleksajic catches him with about as clean a left hook to the liver as you're ever going to see. Uh, it's great because this is the typical liver shot finish. 
He lands it. Volante takes two steps and then slowly collapses because that's what you do when you get hit there really hard. You don't feel it right away. You get a couple of steps and then all of a sudden, oh, your body shuts down. So, uh, you know, good for Oluksasik. Um, you know, light heavyweight is currently in a position where there's cause to be slightly optimistic. You have, again, Oluksasik as a guy coming up. You have Santos in the mix. Uh, you have Anthony Smith in the mix. You have guys like Johnny Walker, Alexander Rakic. We've reached another point where there's four, five guys coming up that we can potentially be excited about, and let's see if they can actually break through, because we had a very similar position a few years ago with guys like Uzdemir, Serkinov, Krylov. Uh, who was the other one? I can't remember. There was another guy who might even still be in the UFC. His name is just escaping me. But we had another crop of light heavyweights that we all thought, okay, maybe these guys can break up the stalemate, break through the you know, the cast system. And they couldn't. They all kind of fizzled or flamed out or just couldn't quite get up there, What you know, whatever it happened to be. Uh, so maybe this next crop can do it. So we'll, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, time is the only way to tell with this stuff, but... You know, maybe. Uh, Liz Carmouche defeated Lucy Pudilova via unanimous decision, 130-27-229-28. I don't think 30-27 for Carmouche is justified. I think she dropped at least the second round. Um, mediocre fight. Pedro Yan defeated John Dodson via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. I was 30-26 for Yan. I love that man. I love p- watching Pedro Yan fight. Um, he has constant pressure, good upper body movement, good s- shot selection, high volume offense, long drawn out combination, goes to the body and head, sharp, sharp boxing, great counter wrestling, good kicking game. I mean, he very nearly decapitated Dodson with a knee that I think Dan Hardy had the correct line about it. You know, John Dodson should be thinking his lucky stars, he's 5'3 instead of 5'4, because if he's 5'4, that knee connects and his head flies off. Um, again, just a very near wipeout for Jan. Uh, he got dropped in the second round and still did enough to win the round. I mean, that, that takes a lot of work. Um, you know, again, if you don't like watching that man fight, I don't know what to tell you. He is so great. Um, he's undefeated in the UFC now. This should put him pretty firmly into the top 10 of bantamweight. I mean, he's beaten two ranked opponents in his last two fights. I mean, good grief, he's fought four times in a 12-month period because he debuted in the UFC in June, knocked out Teruto Ishihara in September of 18, puts on a, I won't say a clinic, but he gets a showcase fight against Jin Susan. Then in December, he stops Douglas Silva de Andrade uh, between rounds two and three. Now in February of 19, he beats John Dodson decisively. Um, this guy's, Jan is, Jan's a badass. <laughs> um, give him someone in the, t- give him another guy in the top 10. This is a guy we all need to absolutely be paying attention to. He's a player in this division and I can't wait to see who he fights. I mean, I think someone on Twitter said, just let him, I want to see Peter Jan fight everyone. <laughs> you know, the thought of him and just run down the list, Dillashaw, Moraes, 
Cruz, Lineker, uh, Garbrandt. It's anyone in that division, there's no one I don't want to see Peter, Peter Jan fight. I, and I can't say that about a lot of people. So good for him. Uh, great, great fight. You know, great showcase for him. Love that man. <laughs> Love watching him fight. Uh, Magomed Ankal, I believe they pronounce he pronounces this Ankalaev. Magomed Ankalaev defeated Klitson Abreu via unanimous decision, two thirty twenty sevens, one twenty nine twenty eight. Um, Abreu, sorry, he's uh, he's Brazilian. It's Abreu, I believe, instead of Abreu, which is more the Spanish pronunciation. Um, Ankalaev was a level above. You know he. Got a little bit too happy looking for his uppercut, but this was a late-notice replacement fight. Um, he was supposed to fight Darko Stojic, uh, and that fell, that fell apart re- relatively short notice, about three weeks. So, But, you know, he got a win. I, I have no idea which round you could have given Abreu either. Just no idea. So he keeps on rolling. He's another guy who we might he might become a player at light heavyweight. Uh, on the prelims, Dwight Grant knocked out Carlo Pedersoli Jr. at 4:59 of the first round. This was one of the most beautifully timed punches. Uh, Pedersoli throws a left high kick. Grant reads that it's coming, leans forwards, and gets uh, a right hand counter. Knocks Pedersoli's mouthpiece halfway across the octagon. Um, guys, this is why you keep your hands up when you kick. This is why your guard stays up when you kick. Because if you drop it, you're open for a counter, especially if they read that the kick is coming. Um, keep your guard up when you kick, please. Chris Fishgold defeated Daniel Tamer via rear naked choke in the second round. Um, Fishgold really struggled in the first round, but got things to the mat in the second and was just the superior grappler. Uh, Jillian Robertson defeated Veronica Macedo via rear naked choke in the second round. Um, Macedo's a good striker, but her grappling is a work in progress, and Robertson just kind of kept forcing things to the mat and got into a scramble situation when she could get the back. Got the choke, all she wrote. That's the last fight I saw. So the rest of these I'm going off of just just the results. Um, Demir Hadzovic defeated Marco defeated uh, Marco Polo Reyes via TKO in the second round. I was looking forward to this fight. These are two, these two guys are action fighters. I was looking forward to this fight. I'm sad and annoyed that I missed it. Uh, good for Hadzovic, who I did pick, I believe, to get the win here. Um, Ismail Narudev defeated Michelle Prezeris for unanimous decision. 230-26s and 130-27. Um, haven't, again, haven't seen the fight. Very surprising outcome. I, Michelle Prezeris is kind of a proven commodity at this point, and for him to get shut out like that, including, you know, a, a 10-8 across two scorecards, uh, that says something about Narudev. Carlos Diego Fajaya defeated Rustam Kabilov via unanimous decision, 230-27s, 129-28. I didn't have a lot of interest in this fight um, because I know how both guys fight, and if it doesn't end quickly, it's going to look like this. They just, apparently they just did nothing but a lot of circling, primarily. 
Um, and kicking everything off, Damir Ismagulov defeated Joel Alvarez via unanimous decision, 30-27. I'm sad that I missed this. I was really, I was relatively impressed with Ismagulov's UFC debut. Um, I think he's someone to, again, it's lightweight, it's very stacked, but he might be someone to pay attention to. Um, so I get sad that I missed that. Again, all I can do is apologize to everyone for you know, mi- uh, missing that those first few fights. I am deeply sorry about that, and we'll just have to do better in the future. So, hopefully I will. Alright, but that is it for our reviews. Again, I do thank everyone who did read my you know, my coverage, be it live or after the fact, for everyone who knew this card was happening, which is a very, very small number of people, apparently. Next week, however, we have UFC 235, which is a pretty solid card, actually. Uh, your main event is John Jones defending the light heavyweight title against Anthony Smith. I am struggling to come up with a reason to pick Anthony Smith. I mean, Smith absolutely earned the title shot. Some of that is the fact that light heavyweight, not a good division at the moment. But Anthony Smith is a very hard-nosed fighter. And I mean that as a compliment. He's got power. He's a very determined guy. But his best win at light heavyweight is probably Volkan Uzdemir. And Volkan Uzdemir is a guy who's turned out to be kind of surprisingly beatable if you avoid the early rush. Um, There's a few areas that, I mean, again, John is, on paper, just better everywhere. John's better at distance. John manages distance very well. John has one of the highest fight IQs you will ever see. The way he chooses his offensive tools... The way he game plans, the way he reads, it's remarkable. I think his fight IQ went underappreciated for a long period of time because we just looked at his physical gifts and we didn't necessarily look at his decision-making the way we should have. Um, If Smith is going to win this fight, I think it's going to be an in-between moment. I think it would be... You know, he's able to crash distance, and then just exiting a clinch or whatnot, he's able to catch John with an elbow, or when John's stepping in, or they clash on elbow strikes, you know, and he just lands better. It's got to be an in-between moment, because I don't think, if we're talking about a methodically paced fight, I don't think anyone right now beats John in a methodical fight. I just don't think it happens. And I have, again... I can't pick against John Jones at this point. I don't care pretty much at all who he fights at light heavyweight. And I don't and I'd pick him against quite frankly the vast majority of heavyweights. I mean he's that good. <laughs> but you know, sometimes you just again, I've said it before, you sometimes you just kind of have to keep the wheels turning. And Anthony Smith is the best contender they have. And he earned it. Again, that's not that's not like saying there's no one else. 
I mean, he earned it. He's the best contender available. And even though he is a significant underdog on paper, sometimes you just put the next guy up against the champion and we just let things keep going. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the fight. I always look forward to John Jones' fights. I always do. So assuming nothing happens during fight week, and with John, that's a big if. I mean, that's a big if in this sport generally. It's a big if if we're talking about John Jones. I'm looking forward to that fight. And again, I, I, I'm going to pick John, probably via stoppage. But I'm looking forward to the fight. Uh, your co-main event is also a title fight. Tyron Woodley defends the welterweight championship against Kamaro Usman. This this fight has some this has some potential. This fight's either going to be fireworks or it's going to be the suck. Like there's not a whole lot of in between here. Um both of these guys are strong wrestlers. Both of them are grindy wrestlers and they're both very explosive. Like, save me the black explosive jokes. It's an accurate ad- adjective for these two. Both men hit very hard. Um, this is kind of about who lands first, in a lot of respects. And... I'm having a real hard time picking against Tyron Woodley at the moment. Tyron Woodley's last loss in the US, last loss was to Rory McDonald in 2014. And I mean since then he is undefeated. He is 6 and 0 with one draw. I have again I just have a real I'm not saying he can't lose. Because, again, if Usman's just the better wrestler, Usman can wrestle for five rounds. Um, They both hit very hard. I think Woodley's a slightly more sophisticated striker than Kamaru Usman. Uh, Woodley's... Woodley and, you know, Woodley's striking isn't exactly the slickest in the world. His setups are relatively limited, but he's very, very good at them. And, again, I like this fight. This has a potential to be really... This has potential to be really good or really bad. Um, Usman has more control with his wrestling, I think, than Woodley does. Usman's more a more demonstrated, even more dynamic, in some respects, control wrestler. Woodley... Well, Woodley's a very, very good wrestler. I don't mean to sell him short, but if we're talking about styles of wrestling, a lot of Woodley's control tends to stem from his opponent's accepting bottom position, even temporarily. Whereas Usman is really good about forcing you to accept a position. I think Woodley's a slightly better scrambler, based on all, based on available information. But that's one of the things that makes, you know, the fight interesting is if we wind up clinched, who's got the advantage? How do we do striking? Is this going to be another instance of two very, very talented wrestlers getting into a slugfest? Because that happens. If neither one has a decided advantage wrestling, they have to slug it out. 
I'm picking Tyron Woodley, but there's, I mean, if he's going to lose, a guy who does what Usman does is the kind of guy who is going to trouble him at this point. We've seen him shut down, well, not shut down. Well, he shut down Damian Maya. We've seen him shut down a jiu-jitsu master. We've seen him best a, a, a striking expert in Stephen Thompson. Specific discipline of striking, but still an expert. And we haven't seen him fight another guy who can wrestle on his level since pretty much the McDonald fight, actually. And I'm, and that's going to be very curious. I wonder if Usman's going to try and take from the McDonald fight because a lot of what Rory did in that fight, on paper at least, should still work against Woodley. We haven't seen him really adjust to what McDonald did, and we haven't seen anyone really try it. So that will, again, that'll be, I'm looking forward to this fight as well, and and I'm picking Woodley, but that's a tough one. Uh, We also have the UFC debut of Ben Askren as he fights Robbie Lawler. Robbie was last seen, what was it, the Dos Anjos fight was his last fight? Yeah, December of 17, jeez. Well, he his knee was injured in that fight, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we kind of knew he was going to be out. Yeah, he had the ACL injury. Uh, but yeah, that was the last time we saw him, and he's fighting Ben Askren. And this is interesting, because Ben Askren is a great wrestler, especially with his style of wrestling. And I'm curious to see how Robbie Lawler is going to deal with it. Uh, the, Robbie Lawler is hands down the best opponent Ben Askren has ever fought. Yeah, when he beat Lima... Um, Kardashkov... Yeah, yeah, okay, Robbie Lawler's the best guy he's ever fought. Um, by a pretty significant... I mean, I like Douglas Lima. I think he's very underappreciated, but Lawler's the best guy he's ever fought. So I'm curious to see how this is going to play out. I'm leaning towards Askren. Robbie's... God, how do I say this? I think Lawler hasn't quite been the same since he lost the belt. I mean, he looked. I mean, he beat Donald. Since then, he beat Donald Cerrone, and then was beaten by Dos Anjos. But I mean, his his career resurgence when he returned to the UFC in 2013 was, I mean, quasi miraculous. It was a it was a great thing to see. But I think we may have hit the other side of that that plateau, I and mean, we maybe on the the downside of that hill. He climbed he climbed the mountain again. And I think we might be on the downside of that again. And I, I got him over... I got Askren here. But... Uh, very interesting fight. There's a few of those on this card that I'd like, I'm interested to see how this plays out. Um, we have Tisha Torres versus Zhang versus, uh, Wilei. Um, I'm struggling to care about this fight. <laughs> I mean, Torres is on a two-fight losing streak to Jessica Andrade and Ioana Jacek. She could use a win here. 
And Zhang Wilei has fought in the UFC a couple of times. I believe she's won both of them. Pull up Tapology here, because I trust them more than I do the UFC at this point. Yeah, she's 18-1. and one. Yeah, twice in the UFC. She beat Daniel Taylor. Okay, I mean, Daniel... Danielle Taylor's kind of there to be beaten. She beat just she tapped Jessica Aguilar with an armbar. I remember that. She might be able to pull this off. Okay, now that I remember who she is, okay, I'm actually a little bit interested in this fight. Hmm. Ah, screw it. I'll go with I'm going with Zhang. I'm gonna pick the upset there. Uh, probably wrong, but I'll live with it. Um, and kicking off the pay-per-view, Cody Garbrandt fights Pedro Munoz. Pedro Munoz is the slowest bantamweight in the world. But he's on a two-fight winning streak. He beat Brett Johns, and he stopped Brian Caraway with a body kick. Uh, Garbrandt, this is, in theory, this is a get-well fight for him, but it's... It's not an easy get-well fight, necessarily. I mean, again, Garbrandt's last two fights were the back-to-back -back losses to Dillashaw. Man, that, that immediate rematch between him and TJ did his career no favors at all. Oh, God. That was such a mistake by the, by the matchmaking. I mean, I'm picking Cody here. Um, I... I think he's a bit slicker on the feet. I think... Again, Munoz is slow. Uh, and he's He makes up for it in, a, in some other ways, but I I got Cody. I... I don't... Unless those two knockouts really took something out of him, and that's a very real possibility, mind you. I'm going with Cody, but this is a very important fight for him. If he drops this... Uh, I don't know where he goes from there. That puts him in a really rough spot. All right, on the prelims, we have Jeremy Stevens versus Zabit Magomed Sharipov. Another fight I'm actually interested in. Um, I mean, Jeremy Stevens, coming off the loss to Aldo, when Aldo body-punched his soul out of him. <laughs> oh, that left, that left of the body that Aldo landed was... Oh, that was great. Um, this is tough, um, because we don't know a lot about Zabit, especially against someone as proven as Jeremy Stevens. I mean, Zabit's UFC wins are Mike Santiago, Shaman Marais, Kyle Botniak, and Brandon Davis. I mean, he's won all of them. He's looked pretty darn good doing them. That's, you know, th that's important. But this is a level up for him, and... There's some unknowns here. Jeremy Stevens is a hard guy to beat. He's a very hard guy to put away, especially. I think a lot of Zabit's, you know, spinning stuff is probably going to fall a little flat. If he's going to beat Stevens, it's going to be with fundamentals. It's going to be with the, you know, more of the basics than the spinny stuff. Um, this is a tough one to pick, actually. I'm going to lean towards Stevens. 
I mean, oh god, because I, I mean I like watching Zabit fight, but I'm gonna lean towards Stevens here. I think this might be a bit too much too soon for him. Uh, Misha Sirkinov battles Johnny Walker. Good old Johnny Walker. This guy, the, this this goofball. Um, don't know what to say about this. Um, if Sirkinov can really force this to the ground early, I think he can win because Sirkinov's a you know, largely a grappler. Not exclusively, but largely. Um, I mean, I'm gonna pick Johnny Walker. You know, I he's the fun choice. He fought very recently, jeez. Hold on, that was that was a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? Yeah, he beat Justin Ledette February 2nd. Um, oh, this was supposed to be OSP, that's it. Yeah, this was supposed to be Sirkinov and uh, Ovent St. Prue. And then St. Prue got injured. Yeah, yeah, I'll go with Johnny Walker, but... Uh, if Sirkinov gets him down, things get interesting. Um, Cody Staman, good for him being back. Uh, I was worried about his knee being injured. Uh, when, uh, with that, uh, of stretch that Sterling hit on him, but, uh, if he's back here, he should be okay. He's fighting Alejandro Perez. Um, Perez has only lost once in the UFC, and that was to Patrick Williams. Jeez. This is a pretty good fight. Bantamweight's a really good division. Uh, Perez beat Eddie Wineland in his last fight. He also has wins over Matthew Lopez, Yuri Alcantara. I'm going to go with Staman, but that's a really close fight. I'm um, kicking off the prelims on ESPN. We have Diego Sanchez and Mickey Gall. I cannot pick Diego Sanchez against anyone at this point. The fact that he's coming off of a win... Look, he's coming off of a guy who took a fight on, I believe, relatively short notice at UFC 228. Let me double-check that, because that might not be accurate. No, that was always the fight, okay. A guy who, at one point, did knock him out with an upkick, but he recovered in his opponent's guard. If he'd landed face down to his side, they would have stopped the fight. Uh, I mean, again, they had to bring in someone from outside the UFC who has no business being in the UFC for Diego Sanchez to get kind of a feel-good win. Um, I mean, I'm picking Mickey Gall. I... I can't pick Diego Sanchez against anyone who should be in the UFC, and while Mickey Gall's a little bit of a gimmick fight, gimmicky, excuse me, a gimmicky fighter, he's also beaten guys who deserve to be in the UFC. And that's not nothing. On Fight Pass, Edmund Shabazian will fight Charles Bird. I kind of like Bird there, actually. Gina Mazzani fights Macy Chason. Um, Chason won, I believe, the most recent season of one of the most recent seasons of The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, that was up at featherweight, so she's cutting down to bantamweight. Uh, I don't know, Chason probably. Marlon Vera is fighting Frankie Signs. They're on Fight Pass. Who put that together? I mean, that's a good fight. Frankie Stein's on a two-fight winning streak. And uh, Vera lost? No, he's on a two-fight winning streak as well. He beat Waligi Burren and Guido Canetti. These two should not be in the middle of a fight pass, of the, of the fight pass portion of this card. 
I got Marlon Vera. Um, but dang. And kicking everything off, Pollyanna Viana fights Hannah Cyphers. Probably Viana, but who knows? Um, Cyphers was she on the most? I want to say she was on the most recent Tough season as well, but at a different weight. Nope, nope. She just uh, lost her debut to Macy Barber. Yeah, Viana. I'll go with Viana there. And that is UFC 235. It will come your way this Saturday. I will have live coverage in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania, and hopefully I don't miss another portion of the fights because I will try. And, um, I'm going to try not to suck this time. So, see how that goes. All right, that'll bring us to the news. Let's get to the the big news: is the retirement of one George Rush St. Pierre, the greatest UFC welterweight. The greatest welterweight in the history of the sport. I don't need to further qualify that, I think. Um, I have been trying off and on since he announced his retirement to write something, and I can't get anything I'm happy with. I'm going to try again tomorrow. Um, I don't know what really to say about George. I mean, he's arguably the best ever. Period. He never had a drug test issue. I mean, the closest thing to controversy you can find about him was one of his cornermen sort of maybe greasing him during the BJ Penn fight. That even then was wiped off at was wiped off by commission official. Like, I mean, that's the closest you can get. George was the consummate professional. I don't I can't say for certain that George was the first UFC fighter to wear a suit to, you know, press events, uh and you know, promotional stuff. But he's the first one I remember doing that. Uh George Vegan brought a level of professionalism, especially I mean, look at how long this guy fought. Especially if you look at when he was coming up, when everyone was wearing, you know, beanies and those god-awful, like, Affliction t-shirts with just skulls and Jackson Pollock-inspired graphics. Uh, George brought professionalism to the UFC when it was badly needed. I mean, as a fighter, George was... George was... I'm, I've kind of come to the... I've come around to the way of thinking that there are fundamentally at least two types of genius in the world. There's the genius that everyone can look at and go, and kind of goes, oh, if I were good, I could do that. And then there's the genius that you just look at and go, I have no idea. George was definitely the former. In the sense that if you watch George fight, he's not doing, he's not doing the spectacular things that, I mean, you know, Anderson Silva's front kick to the face. Or Anthony Pettis jumping off the cage to kick Benson Henderson. You know, there's not a lot of the the flashy brilliance, but you would not find a more well-schooled, well-disciplined, fundamentally nearly perfect fighter than George. Everything he did, he did well, if not perfectly. I mean, the guy had no wrestling background and became the best wrestler in the division, if not all the... And one of the best wrestlers in the sport for a 
relatively significant period of time. George was responsible for... I mean, not singularly responsible, but largely responsible for the popularity of the sport in all of Canada. The Canadian fandom is largely attributable to the success and popularity of GSP. I mean, frankly, the fact that the UFC's decision-making since his hiatus and then retirement cooled that hotbed so drastically is a pretty damning condemnation of of what they've done. Because George built that. George was responsible for what was at one time, for a long time, actually, the largest live audience, the largest uh, attended UFC event, was him versus Jake Shields. There were 55,000-some-odd people in there in the, at, I believe it was Rogers Arena, or Center, one of those two, that came to see him fight Jake Shields. Uh, they, I mean, they needed that crazy Australia card uh, headlined by Ronda years later to break that record. Uh, George fought and beat the best fighters across a few different generations. He took over from, you know, the guys like Matt Hughes and Sean Shirk and, you know, Jay Huron was really good. I mean, George made him look kind of silly. That's how good George was. And um, Frank Trigg, you know, that, I hate to say really old school, but, you know, old school in the sense that we got past the dark, you know, there's the inception, the dark ages, and then now what I think of, you know, kind of the old school. George beat the best of that era. George beat the best of his era. Guys like Tiago Alves, John Fitch, BJ Penn, Jake Shields. Forgetting at least. Uh, Josh Koscheck twice. Johnny Hendricks. I mean, again, whether you agree with the scoring in that fight or not, George B. And, I'm sorry. He's. We, the, so. Yep. And yep. Carlos Condit. Uh, Nick Diaz. Then he fought, you know, an up and comer from the new generation in Johnny Hendricks. And beat him. You know, again, if you disagree with the scoring, then I'm not going to, you know, fight. That's a hotly contested fight. It's actually, that fight, the, the way you score that fight and consequently the outcome of that fight hinges on, first of all, it hinges on one round. Four of those rounds are pretty clear. Two for Hendricks, two for GSP, from where I was sitting. It comes down to one round which is not uncommon in close fights. Then it comes down to, within the context of that round, there is one moment when George slips. He is not knocked down. He is not taken down. He slips. And Johnny Hendricks gets on top for about 20 seconds. I'd have to rewatch the fight and clock it out. But but that the scoring of that round hinges on how much value you put on George's slip and the minor bit of top control time that Johnny Hendricks gets as a result. That's how close that fight was. And to everyone who thought Johnny won, you know, fair play. I don't think it's wrong. But understand that that fight hinges on that moment and how you score it. Uh, Who's the other guy he beat... So, I mean, yeah, he's beaten all those guys. Then 
he relinquishes the welterweight title for health concerns, comes back after four, just about four years, goes up to middleweight and be, and stops Michael Bisping in the third round to become a two-weight world champion. I mean, and this is one of those things I give GSP a lot of credit for. When he realized he wasn't going to be in a position to really defend that belt in a timely fashion, he didn't screw around with it. He just dropped it. And that sucks for those of us that wanted to see him fight Robert Whitaker. You know, me. Would have loved to see that fight. But he didn't do what Connor did and dick around with the belt and screw over the division. I mean, to... He, I don't dispute necessarily that he did da- that that whole sequence of events did damage to the division. I blame Bisbing in the UFC more than George necessarily, although he does share blame. But he could have done more damage had he had he behaved differently, and he deliberately didn't. And I give him a lot of credit for that. And so again, this is a guy who beat. I mean, he beat BJ Penn twice. He ends his career with a record of 26-2. and two. His UFC record stands at 20-2, and two, and he emphatically avenged both losses. I mean, his only losses were to Matt Hughes and Matt Serra, and he beat Hughes twice. I mean, he head-kicked him the first time, and then he arm-barred him the second. He lost to Matt Serra, rebounded with one of the more brutal stoppages you'll see. Those knees to the body he was crushing Matt Serra with were cringe-inducing. He has the most title defenses in UFC welterweight history. He has the third most consecutive title defenses in UFC welter in UFC history, period, at nine. And for those of you keeping track, that puts him behind only... I think he's tied. I think he and... Uh, sorry, that... No, no, no. Because he's actually, I believe, ahead of John. Because of John getting stripped. Yeah, he's only behind, like, Anderson and Demetrius Johnson. I mean, this is a guy who did basically everything who did basically everything well. I mean, again, you watched George fight, not necessarily to see the flashy stuff, but to watch a guy who was almost a machine when it came to execution in the cage. Uh, this is a guy who developed a, you know, a lot of excitement around his fights. And... A guy who has meant a lot to the sport. You know, I I mentioned that George brought a lot of professionalism to the sport, and a lot of that rubbed off on the sport generally. George is a guy who, in some very real ways, gave back to the sport. Uh, He's one of the few guys who got from the sport what he was worth financially. Uh, I think in a lot of respects, even George showed how to have a dispute with the UFC because he butted heads with them a few times, but it was never ugly, to our knowledge. He never, you know, made a big deal out of it. He never trashed anyone. He was the consummate professional when MMA needed a consummate professional. 
He was a masterful tactician and technician. And, I mean, there's things he did when he was fighting that are still not, I think, fully appreciated. I mean, his Superman jab and the way he kind of built it and built off of it were great. And you don't see a lot of people using that technique. I mean, he had a lot of athletic gifts. He's one of the more explosive fighters you'll ever see. And he diligently, you know, trained. I think George is one of the, in addition to being a professional, he's one of the guys who actually brought a genuine martial arts mentality to MMA. He didn't really trash talk anyone. I mean, the closest you get was you was him telling Matt Hughes, I'm not impressed by your performance. And frankly, if you rewatch that fight with BJ Penn, the one that Hughes wins, George isn't wrong. <laughs> I mean, but that's the closest you get to him really kind of trash-talking anyone. Uh, he, you know, he brought a lot of discipline and a lot of, again, the, the kind of martial arts ethos into the UFC, and again, especially at a time when it was dominated by the smug jackasses, and I don't mean that Matt Hughes is a terrible person, but if you look at his presentation, him and Frank Trigg, you know, there was a lot of that kind of just, you know, the, you know, the smug arrogance, you know, the, you know, but, I mean, the term humble brag wasn't really a thing at the time, but a lot of those, a lot of that was kind of going around. A lot of, you know, false humility in some respects. And George brought a much more genuine sense of who he was. He's, I mean, he was responsible for some genuinely great moments in the history of the sport. You know, the way he, the way he deconstructed Josh Koscheck in their second fight, uh, is in many respects a masterclass on such. You know, the way he came back and beat Bisbing after, you know, four years to become a uh, two-weight world champion. Uh, the fight with Carlos Condit was darn good. I mean, it was a lot of George, you know, winning. Uh, the Tiago Alves fight. He's responsible for the most entertaining John Fitch fight <laughs> when he just kind of beat the crap out of John Fitch for five rounds. Uh, I don't think... I think it'll be a while, if ever, before MMA sees another fighter like GSP. And... Again, he's maybe the best ever. If you look at his level of opposition, if you look at his level of accomplishment, if you look at the the time period that he accomplished it... I mean, again, he beat the best of, you know, kind of the old school. He beat the best of his generation. He beat a few of the guys that came along... Uh, of the of the rising generation. That's that's not something a lot of people do. Uh, so you know what? Again, if he actually stays retired, and George is... I mean, George is the only MMA fighter that I will largely take at his word. <laughs> Which is the craziest thing, because fighters are excellent liars. George is one of the few guys who I would I would take at his word when he said something. Because he was as honest as he could possibly be. And if he says he's retired, basically then, you know what, I believe him. And it's good to see 
an all-time great, an all-time good guy in the sport, retire not only with all of his accomplishments, but on his own terms, and with, you know, again, this unbelievable legacy of accomplishment. I wish George the best in what he does going forward. He has given me some of my favorite fight moments. Some of my some of the most jaw-dropping experiences I had, again, if we're setting aside the spectacular stuff, watching George fight BJ the second time, watching him, you know, shut down Carlos Condit, watching him shut down Tiago Alves when we were all certain that Tiago Alves was a massive challenge, you know, watching him just bludgeon John Fitch, I mean, you watch those, and again, you don't get a, you know, a jump-off-the-cage moment or a, you know, a suplex-to-arm bar, just my jaw drops, but watching, you know, the consistent execution and darn near perfection of what he was doing was, in a very real way, jaw-dropping, and, uh, you know, when I say awesome, it, I mean in the traditional inspiring awe sense. Uh, you know, George was the best, and, you know, Godspeed to him and what comes next. All right. Uh, in some fight news, we did have some fights get made. One of the ones that came out of left field, we had the announcement for the main event. Uh, UFC 236 in general. I'd mentioned UFC 236 a few times as being nothing. Like, it was on the schedule, but it wasn't. It didn't have any fights. It didn't have a venue. It didn't have anything. Uh, now it has a main event. Um, it it doesn't have a bout order yet, but it does have a lot of fights announced. We have two interim title fights announced. One is an interim middleweight title fight between Kelvin Gastelum and Israel Adesanya. I can live with this. We don't have a timetable for Robert Whitaker's return from uh, his hernia surgery, which was apparently more complicated than... Again, like... Y- there are some times when, you know, a hernia surgery is a routine thing. Apparently his was not routine. Uh, we don't have a timetable for his return. An interim title is potentially called for, necessarily. I mean, to the degree that interim titles mean anything, which is very, very little. Um, I like the fight, just on paper. Again, Gastelum does things that can, that can trouble Adesanya, especially if Gastelum really tries to wrestle. Um, and Adesanya, this will be the best guy Adesanya's fight, uh, fought, excuse me. Um, so I'm, I'm down. I like the fight. I'm okay with the interim title, given the circumstances and texture of the division at the moment. That's cool. The other interim title fight, and this one came out of left field a little bit. Uh, featherweight champion Max Holloway moving up will fight Dustin Poirier for the interim welter, uh, lightweight title. This is an odd one. Um, I'm a little surprised at Max Holloway moving up. I'm a little surprised at him moving up without a lot of fanfare prior to the announcement. I mean, there's a lot he could still accomplish at featherweight. I'm a little surprised... Let 
I mean, I'm not surprised at the fight in the sense that if Holloway's going to move up, him and Poirier go, going again is a good fight. Um, for those of you who don't remember, Max Holloway made his UFC debut against Dustin Poirier at featherweight on short notice. And he gave Poirier problems on the feet before he just couldn't handle the grappling. Was submitted with a mounted triangle armbar. If memory serves me correctly, and I believe it does. Uh, so again, this is a rematch. Um, both guys obviously different fighters now, especially Holloway. Um, I don't hate the fight on paper. It's a great fight on paper. Um, apparently there were reports that the UFC offered this fight to Tony Ferguson, to do Tony Ferguson versus Max Holloway. And Tony... I, if I were to guess, Tony Ferguson has always been, has already been interim lightweight champion, and the UFC just subsequently took it away from him for the sake of convenience. I think he'd be willing to, I don't, again, I don't think Tony's afraid of Max. Frankly, Tony and Max is one of my dream fights at the moment. I desperately, desperately want to see that fight. Those two maniacs one of the most unpredictable wild men in the sport against a guy who does nothing, who gets better reads and and adjusts to those reads in real time better than anyone else in the UFC. Couple that with the the propensity of both men for just violence, for high-paced insanity. I mean, again, hook that into my veins, please. That is one of my dream fights. I want to see it. But I don't think Tony wants to mess around with interim titles anymore. He actually tweeted, Tony did, that I can make 145. I'm not sure that he can. Tony's relatively drawn out at lightweight, but... And again, frankly, I think that's a more interesting fight at lightweight than at featherweight. But I think he wants to fight for the real belt. And Khabib is going to be out for another few months still. Um, again, I like the fight on paper. It's an odd decision, given the state of the division. Um, I don't know. I mean, it leaves featherweight in an awkward spot. Are you going to make an interim featherweight title? While Max plays around at lightweight, is Max going to stay at lightweight? Is this just a one-of? Are we just... I mean, there's a lot of questions here. There's a lot of uncertainty, and... It's, again, it's a weird... It's in a weird spot, but... Again, just... In a, the fight itself, in kind of, you know, again, setting aside all that, rematch between Max Holloway and Dustin Poirier in 2019... Yes. I am definitely down for that. Again, we don't have an actual bout order. The card got some other fights announced. Um, Eric Anders versus Khalil Roundtree at light heavyweight. Um, Ovin St. Preux and Nikita Krylov. Poliana Botello and Paige Van Zant. They are desperately trying to get Van Zant back on track. Uh, that's a very winnable fight for Wilson Hayes and Alessandre Pantoja. The loser will probably be cut, because that's what the UFC is doing these days at feather at flyweight. Um, that's a really solid card, actually, from what they've announced so far. Again, we don't have a bout order, 
But I am again I am very intrigued by those top two fights. I am very intrigued by those. I mean, I, I'm down for any Max Holloway fight at this point. And him and Poirier in a rematch? Yeah. Yeah, I'm down. I am very down. Um, UFC Fight Night 149, I believe, got its main event. This has been announced since our previous podcast. Um, Alexander Volkov versus Alistair Overeem will headline. That event is in St. Petersburg, Russia. We'll also feature Marcin Tibora and Shamil Abdurahimov. There are three heavyweight fights on this card. God help us. Uh, Sergei Pavlovich and Marcelo Golm. Roxanne Modafferi will fight Antonina Shevchenko. We'll serve Alexander Yakovlev and Timu Pakalin. Emil uh, Weber Mech versus Sultan Aliyev. Christoph Yatko versus um, just a lot of the basic, you know, European circuit. Uh, Volkov and Overeem is actually a pretty good fight. Uh, Volkov was unbelievably close to fighting Daniel Cormier in place of Derek Lewis before he just decided to stop fighting the way he'd been fighting for the previous 24 minutes and 49 seconds and let Derek Lewis hit him a few times, which doesn't end well for anyone, pretty much. And Overeem... Overeem uh, was the Blades fight his last fight, yes? No, no, he beat Pavlovich. He, He got back on track. But that's again, that's a pretty solid fight. Uh, the rest of the card, eh, so far. But uh, that's a pretty decent main event. Um, let's see, we got uh, a lot of the undercard for some upcoming fights. The UFC on ESPN three got some of its, I guess, some of its body filled out. Uh, Jim Miller and Jason Gonzalez, Diego Lima, Court McGee, Andre Arlovsky fighting somebody. Carla Esparza and Livia Hinata Souza. Uh, how about that Canada card? No main event. That one's still very much developing. I think we knew about all of those already. Um, UFC 237. Again, they're looking to do Nami Yunus versus Andrade. I think we talked about that before. Uh, so I think that's it for fight announcements that have come out recently. Uh, everything else looks intact for the next few weeks because uh, we're going to have Jones ver- uh, Lewis versus Dos Santos has not had any major changes uh, to it yet. We also don't have a full bout order finalized quite yet for that card. Um, that card, that has some decent fights on it. Again, Lewis and Dos Santos could be good. Uh, Capoeira allows you to Lusky Dos Santos and Curtis Millinder has some potential. Tim Means, Nico Price could be interesting. Um, Blagoy Ivanov and Ben Rothwell will be terrible. Dariush and Dober, meh. Tim Boach versus Omari Akhmedov, meh. Uh, Anthony Martin, good on Rocco, man. Uh, and Sergio Marais, that, that, that could be good. That's a bit of a sleeper for that card. But I don't think we've had any other major changes to cards in terms of things pulling out yet, so I hope that sticks around. Uh, Let me have a look at my notes, and we'll see if there's any other major news 
that's come out over the last week or so. Um, because, again, there's a lot of just... I don't... I think those are the major talking points. Uh, oh, Mackenzie Dern is pregnant, so congratulations to her. Um, because I, I think that's... I, yeah, I don't think... I don't think there were any other major news items... Uh, that have come out over the last over the last week. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. All right. Uh, again, that's that's going to be it for this particular episode. So thank you all very much for listening. That is always appreciated. Uh, so where can you find me this week? Um, this Tuesday, Mark Radlich and I will be reviewing Fighting With My Family, because Mark hates me. Uh, this thing is kind of cratered. Yeah, cratered's a hard word. It is disappointed at the box office. So, Mark and I will have a full review of that movie. Expect us to scream at each other. Uh, last week, Mark and I and a couple of guests reviewed Alita Battle Angel. So you can find our review, our review of that in the in the Damn You Hollywood archives at uh, on the Rattletion Broadcasting Network. I'm not sure if I'm still covering Impact on Fridays, because Larry Zonk is back. I'm uh, glad to have him back in the fold, glad he's recovered to the extent that he has from his issues. Uh, we all missed you very much, Larry, so we're very, very grateful that you're back. Uh, so I'm, I'm not sure if I'm covering it on Friday or not anymore, but... If I am, you can still find me there. Um, if not, then that will have been taken off of my plate. And then again, Saturday coverage of UFC 235. So I think that's it for me for this week. Thank you all very much for tuning in. Back to regular next week. I know this one's also going up later. Again, I had stuff. Uh, until next time, thank you all very much for listening. Stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>